Yo, we're back. Back. <laughs> Raphael Rutley is here. Two fathers here. The madness is here. America, we back. Sports reports is ordered. We in your buildings, we in your ears, we in your speakers. What's up, Raph? Hey, good to be back. Had to take another vacation over the weekend. Went another trip up north. So yeah, I'm back to ready to talk these sports and and you know do what we do. It's, it's, it's our thing. Like I said, once again, before we start, first and foremost, support to the fans. Shout out to. The, uh, gotta follow Twitter, Supply Ninja. Uh, I want you to shout out any of your ideas. You guys can hit us on Instagram. You can hit us on Twitter. You can hit us on Facebook. You can we'll start doing live shows. You guys can chime in here. Like I said, all the, the sports media world, that's where we get our ideas from. So we want to hear the people who like to have these debates and have these topics. So yeah, like yeah, Mike, we just ready to get into it, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Mike, how you feeling? Don't forget YouTube. Like us, rate us, subscribe. It's free. It's free. Just click the button. That's right. So tonight, we're going to talk to you about OKC. When I woke up this morning, they sitting in the 10 spot. Is the t- over? Is the tank in the tank? What about some NIL? These coaches are wild. These coaches are hypocrites. The fans are even hypocrites. What do you want from 19-year-olds? What do you want? Then we got to talk about referees again. Getting to the office, Fred Van Vliet put us on the game. And now it's time to hold people accountable. And then finally, what's the value of a running back? Where's Austin Eckler going to end up? What about Zeke? And what do we got to get off our chest? Holla. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. We'll flow right into our, uh, our first topic here. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm looking at these NBA standings hourly. I feel like it changes hourly. Like I woke up one day, OKC was seven. I brushed my teeth and they were like nine and then Minnesota was 10. And then by the time I laid my head on the pillow, they were like seven. But the crazy part about it is like everybody's only like a half a game to a game behind Golden State for number six. So first of all, is OKC going to end up in the play in? And if so, does that mean that the tank is in the tank? They're going to end up in a play-in just because it's 7 through 10. I can't see them. Young team, yeah, they got a star and SGA, you know, coming with the Louis briefcases and the minks and everything else. So he, he is he is running up like a star. People in, in Los Angeles probably thinking maybe we should have kept him instead of giving him up in the, you know, Paul George trade or whatever. But I think the West is so tight now. But I think the four beating the team four times in seven games is really going to separate teams. So I, I can't imagine that OKC is really going to make any kind of a splash. 
I think what they do have going, and if they, and this is something that always happens with teams, because we talked about the bottom six teams in a previous episode. They had a good run this year. Their top pick is out injured. He's going to come back next year. You got to keep the core happy, whatever you got to do, and see if that works. A lot of teams abandon it. And just hope that, okay, well, we'll get this new guy back. We'll be good to go. We've seen Philly do it when they would draft. You know, it had Ben Simmons. He was hurt for like a year. Then they had Embiid. He was hurt. And they made a little run. And they got some players together. But then when it was time to see if we could put them all on the court, they shipped guys off. Guys were upset with the fact they weren't winning. They were trading them. So I think it's, it's, it's a delicate position that OKC finds himself in. They got two picks in the draft next year. They got the Clippers and their own, which looking right now is going to be between 15 and 30. Both of those picks, I can't imagine, unless they lose and they get in the lottery, like you said, tanking the tank. I think it's a matter of you ride out this year and have as much fun and success as possible, limited expectations post-April. And then you try to bring the band back together, add in Chet Holmgren, hopefully put on a little bit of weight while he was rehabbing because he was kind of small, even at seven foot two or something, I believe his height was. He probably was like seven foot two, 172. <laughs> so it was like, if you put some weight on, I think they have a shot next year because the West is, I mean, right before our eyes, getting very old. A lot of these teams in the middle are getting very old. A lot of guys coming off of ACLs. So, you, like I said, you you run it out as tough as you can right now. Don't worry about the draft because you have pieces in place. And then ramp it up for next year. And, you know, Chet Holmgren, whenever you get back, stay away from LeBron James. You know, that's stay the lesson here. Doing stay away from these high school gyms. You know, but I was looking at this and, you know, this is why, part of why, I support player empowerment, you know, but there comes a limit to this because the Clippers drafted SGA for a reason. And then Kawhi was like, yo, I want Paul George. And it's like, come on, man. Like he hurt just as much as you, you know, SGA out here averaging 30 this season. So that would be a nice, you know, teammate to have, I guess, you know, Portland out here shutting down Damian Lillard, you know, with about nine games to go. So, I mean, I don't even know what we're doing in the West. So this opens up the door. These things open up the door for OKC to make their move because now guess what? Paul George is hurt again. You know, so the Clippers may come back to the pack. Golden State can't win on the road. Maybe they'll come back pack. And then you got Carl Anthony Towns back in Minnesota. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting finish to the season. But I just want to take a second and give some props to Mark Note the head coach for OKC, coming up through the system because not only did he coach under Billy Donovan, but he was also the head coach for the KC Blue, you know, from the G League. So, you know, he is literally as homegrown as their players are, you know, and I want to give from Lou Dort. A lot of people forgot about him. He had a good playoff series a couple of years ago against the Rockets. So we saw the potential. He still takes some shots that I don't think he should be taking. But I love the fact that he wants to take those shots, you know. But looking at this, you know, I was at Jalen Williams, you know, their draft pick for this year, the rookie. He's number two 
on the Kia rookie ladder behind Paulo Bancaro of Orlando. And I could argue for the last month and a half, he's probably been a little bit better than Bancaro. Bancaro had the hot start. And, you know, we're holding on to that. But you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have the numbers to surpass Bancaro, but he's probably been playing better. You mentioned Holmgren, you know. And then uh, back to Dagno, he took over in 2020, and he went from 22 to 24 wins. And here they are, you know, sitting close to 40 wins. You know, they may finish the season with 40 wins. So what I would love to see, just from the standpoint of the old guard, you know, I always talk about the old guard versus the new guard. Give me Golden State in that seven. Give me Golden State in that seven. Give me OKC in that 10. Let's put some stakes on the line, get some intensity, because, Raph, I don't think Dallas going to make it. They lost again to Charlotte. Back to back. Jordan, like, well, you just made me another $50 million. I feel you with the young players and organically and they grow them together. And I think that's perfect. Like I said, I think you run it as hard as you can right now. Because like I said, you're playing with house money. You got a young team, young coach came up with the grind. <laughs> You know what they say, get it out the mud. And you and you just run it down that way because, like I said, most of these teams between the Clippers, the Lakers, Portland just constantly in shambles with their player personnel. Who else is getting old? You got Sacramento that's young. Houston is young, but just seems to be so Golden State's old. Golden State's old. Denver the is Clippers are old. Clippers are old. Denver isn't dynamic enough. I don't think they could just, I don't think they can beat people enough to where you can keep the whole team together. Golden State, a lot of their teams, Phoenix is old. So a lot of Golden State success was because they kept getting so far and it's like, yo, come on, man, let's run it back. Let's give Clay this four year 180 something, 190. Let's let's give, let's go get KD. Let's, you know, so they were able because they were going so far. Teams lose in the Eastern Conference. Like, for instance, if LeBron doesn't lose in the playoffs, if he goes to the NBA finals that year with Cleveland, do you does he go to Miami? Does he take his town to South Beach? I doubt it. I think he was, he'd probably be able to convince D. Wade and Bosch to come to Cleveland. But when you lose, Everybody starts to point out, like, oh, we should have done this, shouldn't have done that. With the OKC war, I mean, OKC, they don't have to worry about that. They make, you know what? We're just going to play this out. We're a young team. And if we get in, we'll try to make some noise. If we get in, we lose. I think the fans are still love it. Very loyal fans. They still clap for Russell Westbrook when he comes into town. I don't know if they treat Durant the same. I think it's some booze and some cheers. I think Harden gets cheers when he comes into town. So they're loyal fan base. They're always, you know, 18, 19,000 people in the stadium and in, in the arena. So I think you have a good core group that you can build around. And, you know, maybe you're at 47 to 48 wins next year. MVP candidate, SGA. Rookie of the year because Chad Holmgren didn't play. So you got a rookie of the year candidate. He's probably got a year of NBA film study. And so, you know, he'll be a rookie of the year candidate. I think. You could be you can be a reemergence, the the Westbrook, Harden, Durant years. You can get that back with Giddy, Holmgren, and uh SGA. You just gotta make sure coach, 
core player are all intact. People can't get unhappy because if people get unhappy, you'll see Giddy somewhere and every Laker fan is going to be like, yo, you should come to LA. We got blah, blah, blah. But you just got to, you got to keep, you got to keep people happy. And I think you keep, keep your core tight and you're good to go for the future. See, and I was just going to say, yeah, before you said that last part, I was about to say, we ain't even mentioned Giddy yet, you know? So like, that's a former number six draft pick, you know, averaging 16, eight and six this season. So, you know, and just for a little clarity, I'm going to go back for a second. So the Paul George trade, you know, so SGA and Danilo Gallinari for four unprotected first round picks, one protected first round pick and a right to swap future picks twice, you know, so like literally the Clippers gave up the farm for real. They gave up the cows. They gave up the goats. They gave up the sheep. And gave up they the got grass, a win the championship. <laughs> yeah, they got to win the championship. And they're not, even, they're not even close. They haven't been you know, close to look like a championship team. Ever and, since they see, made and that where, move. And that's not where OKC, even close. Well, see, that's where I look at OKC, depending on how they manage things. You know, in the next three years, they're going to be a bigger contender than the Clippers ever were. And, you know, not only that, but you know what I mean? Like, they're young, like you said. I mean, SGA just came in the league three, four years ago. You know, Giddy, you know, like I said, was the number six pick, what, two, three years ago? So, the like, dudes can't rent cars yet. They can't, yeah, they can't so, rent so, cars at airports yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so you know what I mean? So, like, OKC is coming. Like, everybody's looking at New Orleans, for example. But we got to get Zion to stay on the court, you know, before we can take New Orleans seriously. You know, so, See, the like... the thing with the, New Orleans... At, yeah, my bad. Yeah, but the thing with New Orleans, they tried to force it. They tried right. to force talent around the player that their star player they drafted, and it didn't work. They're going to have to start over. Mm-hmm. They're a year and a half away from starting over. This next next trade deadline for New Orleans is going to be a fire sale. Book it. Hey, so if so, so all those rumors out there about Harden, you know, wants to go back to Houston, he might should want to go back to OKC. <laughs> but you know, but you know, but 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 that's the thing, right? Like OKC, looking at the dynamic of the West, right? You figure Memphis might be around for a little bit because you know they got Job ja Morant. So they might be a factor. I don't know if they're going to be a contender, but they're going to be a factor. You know, uh, Denver, you mentioned, like, at what point, depending on how it, this season ends, say they go out in the first round or second round, don't make it to the Western Conference Finals, is it time to maybe think about moving Jamal Murray? I'm not saying I would, but are those questions that might come up inside the building? You know, like, because what draft pick are they going to bring in or what trade are they going to make that's going to help them out to move forward if they're already the one seed, you know, like Sacramento's coming, you know, I don't know if they're going to be a contender at some point, but they're young enough to still be in the way for the next three to four years. If they could keep it together, you know, Phoenix, you figure Chris Paul is probably on his last legs, whether it's this year or next year, but they still got Booker and Durant going forward. So you at least have probably the best combination of stars going forward of established How much stars. Time do you have, I don't know. I'm thinking two years max. Two years max. Because every time so I you're turn saying around, two Katie, years with Booker and KD and Chris Paul, one more year. No, 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 no. Just, just, just two with those two. Just two with those two. Okay. 
So you got Chris, um, Paul, Chris Paul done Paul. after this year. Yeah, possibly. Because, I mean, he was almost done after um, this past season. So, you know, it's coming. You know, you know, it's coming. You know, um, the Lakers, you know, like LeBron's only getting older. He's probably going to get some undisclosed surgery that we aren't going to hear about in the offseason. You know, and then, of course, Anthony Davis is always, you know, all infirmary team in the league. So, you know, he's been healthy for a whole month now. So not to be that guy, but I'm just a little nervous that something might be coming. Because you just never know with him. And, I mean, am I supposed to be like, yo, they got Austin Reeves. So, therefore, the Lakers are going to stay afloat. You know, apparently that's the thing. You know, Golden State is getting older. Steph's, what, 34 now? You know, like, Clay is still having games where he can hit five, six threes, like, a little more than that at times. But the decline is coming. You know, Draymond, he's already, you know, triple single. So, it ain't getting no better. So 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 He's unless like Wiggins that. so unless Wiggins comes back and turns into what people thought Wiggins was coming into that draft, which those days may be past, not saying that he's old, but he is who he is at this stage. And yeah, Jordan Poole is just Yeah, and Jordan Poole ain't doing nothing but turning the ball over. So I mean, like OKC is positioned in a way where they have enough young pieces to where even if they don't keep the core together, the pieces that they have could be in demand around the league. But that's what I'm saying. So that's, that's precisely what I mean. I knew like, as soon as you were going, I was like, I thought, I thought you were going to get to that part. Golden state kept their team together because of success. And now clay is looking a little old. Draymond is literally probably only valuable as a player to golden state but he's probably ultra valuable as a coach to any other team. He'd get a lot of technicals, but I think as a player, I don't, I don't see his value being transferred to another team. So there's no trade value there. Clay is getting older. His contract is pretty big. And we talked about NBA contracts, how like they're, they're on the front end when they're younger is less money, but as they get older, it's a lot more money. So he's on the back end of his deal. He just signed after, getting his ace, tearing his ACL and then the Achilles. So if OKC can keep their players together, I think they'll be fine. The What Golden State has is they have Jordan Poole like the got Wiggins, who's I mean, what, eight, nine years in the league. And I've really seen him have any major injuries and miss a lot of time. You had Kaminga. I think some of their G League talent might be pretty legit. They might regret the Wiseman draft pick instead of getting ball. So I think they'll be fine. You got a couple more years of stuff playing the way he plays because he doesn't take a lot of hits. He doesn't fall a lot like D-Wade. I think Kyrie hits the deck a little bit more because he's a little bit more downhill. I think because Kyrie will get get a rebound off a missed three-point shot, and he's coming downhill to get a layup. You know, occasionally you get foul bump. Slide into those cameramen or the stanchions and stuff like that. I think that adds up. Steph will get that same rebound, come down and slow dribble from 37 feet and then come off the screen and pull up. So I think you're going to get a couple more years out of Steph than you were out of other players. So I think they'll be fine. They're going to have to get rid of Draymond and you know what this topic made me think of. What's that? This This topic made me think of Minnesota had Carl Anthony Towns, Zach Levine, and Wiggins at the same time and did absolutely nothing. 
Just like just like we talked about these teams in the bottom six. I remember I watched a segment with Colin Coward. It was like people make it people think that the NBA has this great worst of first setup. He's like, but they don't. What they have is a lot of hype and a lot of hope. But for the most part, most teams trade away so many of their picks. We just saw what the you know the Clippers ran down for Paul George. They ran like four picks unprotected. They don't care. Like they're like, listen, if we get the right player and we get a couple of key veterans and we surround them, we're going to be at forty-five to fifty-two wins every year in the playoffs. Our draft pick is going to be seventeen and twenty-two, twenty-three. Or if you want, you have championship aspirations. Your pick's going to be 27, 28, 29. Yeah, you don't care about the pick. It's a team right now that's probably looking to trade away their 2029 and 2031 picks in this next draft because no one cares about the picks. So what happens is these teams, they have young talent. It doesn't produce. Either you get the wrong coach, wrong scheme, or they don't play well together, or everyone's playing for the money early on because all those rookie extensions, it's hard because if – New Orleans had a second rookie that was playing as well, that was playing better than Zion, and Zion was never playing. I don't think Zion gets his $180 million deal if you had another guy you could sign. Well, with Levine, Cat, and Wiggins, all those guys be there at the same time, you couldn't figure out what to do with them. OKC, you've already seen the landscape of how this can go sideways. You did it yourself. That's one thing. So a fool has to learn a lesson somewhere. So you already messed this up once. You've seen other teams mess this up. Don't do it again. If you simply don't mess up the way you did with Durant, Harden, Westbrook, you'll have that same type of success. Western Conference Finals, maybe a finals appearance. Because if you have young talent that can just essentially just outplay the other talent, all the other, ta- all the other talented teams in your conference are getting old. The top team in the conference, their best player is a defensive liability. And they have, who's about to be potentially a three-time MVP, which then puts another level of expectation on the team. And when Mm -hmm. the team inevitably falls short because they don't have all the pieces. You don't have all the pieces. You need all the pieces to make it. Jordan needed Will Purdue to get rebounds. Even though he's not a big name, he needed Rodman to grab those rebounds, even though, you know, he needed Pippen to defend this other guy. He needed Phil Jackson. All these things come together. And I think teams kind of forget, like, you need a whole thing to make this work. So we'll see what they see, do and that's why I like, And that's why I like OKC's position better than, say, Memphis, because Memphis has John Morant, but he's in that Allen Novice and Derek Rose mold where he's a little dude, whereas SGA has got a little bit more size on him, you know, and plays the same position. But then when you look on Memphis's roster, you know, they have a lot of players that excel because they play with Ja. Like, you know, like I like Desmond Bain a lot, you know, like he's a really great shooter, you know, could be like a clay level shooter at some point. You know, but I don't know if he could do that if he didn't have Ja to play off of. They got Dylan Brooks, you know, the reincarnation of Dennis Rodman, you know, who like at some point they may have to come off of him because he's just going to sabotage it. You know, they got Jaron Jackson. I think they have the pieces. They just need to make it work. 
They got Jaron Jackson Jr., who probably, if he played more games, he would probably be my defensive player of the year, but he just didn't play enough games for me to consider him. So you got that going for you. But now Brandon Clark out for the season. I think Steven Adams is out for the season. You know, um, you know, you got you got Luke Kennard, who hit 10 threes the other night, you know, for 11 from three. But when I look at OKC, I see like the young. Like, I feel like a lot of those dudes that I just named, like they are who they are. Like Dylan Brooks will maybe get under people's skin. But as far as like being a scorer and those type of things, he's just old player that has probably reached his peak already. Jaron Jackson is probably still getting a little bit better, but he's often injured. You know, Brandon Clark and all these other guys, I think they are who they are. Whereas Giddy, the sky is still the ceiling for him. We haven't even seen Holmgren yet. You know, Lou Dort probably has maxed out or is getting close to his maxing out. But now you got Jalen Williams in there. So, so I think OKC still has enough players that haven't reached their apex yet. So everyone that's just where has I to play like, their role. They have to they have right. to accept their role and they have to play it well and recognize that playing your role well is not because SGA gets thirty and you get thirteen doesn't mean your value to the team is any less than his. Because if you're a defender and you get thirteen six or seven rebounds, four or five assists, and you defend the other team's best player, you're preventing that guy from getting points, at least efficiently, because NBA players are going to get their points. Kevin Durant's going to get his points. Kyrie's going to get his points. Steph's going to get his points. But if you can make him go 14 for 31, frustrate him, and still get your 13 points, meanwhile, your guy, your, your top scorer, your best player doesn't have to be the best defender. Now he can ease his way 17 for 28, to his 39 points on a big night, you know, you, you have, you have those options. So like, I'm going to come to you as a, as a management, like, listen, yo, play the point guard, get a 16, eight assists and six rebounds, run those numbers. And we'll, pay, we'll pay you to your value. Not just the numbers. I think people think, Oh, I'm averaging 25 and eight. I deserve 35 million a year. And it's like, well, you're getting 30, 25 and eight. On a team that's going 20 and 62, you have no value. But if you go to a team that's going 55 and 27 and you're giving them 17 and 8, a la Chris Bosch, he went to the Hall of Fame. Well, you remember we were talking about why does nobody want to be Scottie Pippen, right? So, you know, yeah. you got your Jordan, you got your Pippen, but you still need a little Ron Harper. You know, and, you and, that. and that's 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 where somebody fits in, you know, and that's where Dylan Brooks fits in for Memphis to some degree, you know, and maybe OKC just needs to find theirs because right now, you know, I see a lot of scoring, you know. Um, so I'm look so when we talk about OKC, we're looking at it from a offensive production standpoint of like who do you stop or at some point they're going to become unstoppable to where who do you focus the defense on, you know, but if they get some role players in there, like not saying get this player, but get a Danny green type dude, you know, cause Danny green's a little, you know, long in the tooth, if you will, but get a Danny green type dude that can give you 
you know, 20 minutes a game or, you know, something along that line, that might be the thing that they need to jump past the play-in going forward. Yeah, like Boston had with Tony Allen and James Posey. Just get somebody exactly. in there that wanted to defend. It's like, yo, that's that's value in defense. Pass deflections, steals, frustrating other team's player. Maybe that player gets a technical. We'll talk about technicals later. But it's like all of that stuff matters. I think people are so inundated with the how they look getting off the bus and the jewelry and the ring. I mean, and the jewelry that they wear, not the jewelry that they earn, that they just kind of lose focus at. Draymond's contract is like 80, was like three years, 80 something million or something like that when he got when he signs extension. I don't See, that's why I never understood points in the last two years. That's why I never understood why, not to get off topic, but just real quick since you brought that up. That's why I never understood why Kawhi left Toronto. You know, they had all them long arm dudes that was disruptive and, you know, messing I think it he all just up. I mean, he wanted to go home. He wanted to I go home. He just wanted yeah, to go to Southern go California. Home, but that but, that but was for it. me, the basketball. He would have left any was, team. Yeah. But for me, the basketball move was to stay in Toronto, you know, so so that's what I'm afraid of is 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 so that's the one thing that OKC may have to deal with is SGA going to get too big for OKC and want to go somewhere else. You know, like that's going to be the Write main the issue check. that they run into because I don't think the Write other dudes, that you know, check. And, and I admit I admit I'm being a little racial, you know, when I say this, because like. Ongren might not care and Giddy might not care or whatever, but SGA might want that market. Yeah, true. But, you know, like I said, I think it's, I think it's a good story. I'm glad that the West does have like this, this, this fight script kind of squeeze on mediocrity and like being average because I think it's creating more competition. I think Adam Silver and the competition committee, whoever came up with the plan, I think they're low key loving the way it's all kind of playing out because we've mm-hmm. talked about teams from, we've talked about more teams from seven to 10 in our conversations or the surprise team and the Kings. than we've talked about the teams that were preseason favorites to win it all. And I think that's the whole thing because without the play in, I mean, you're eliminating 75% of the league from real conversation without the play. Uh-huh. You know, so I yeah. think I think Adam Silver, I think they, they got it figured out. OKC, keep your core together. Don't start trading people. Don't start firing people. Pay people that money. I'm pretty sure people wouldn't mind paying 14 bucks for a beer if they get to keep all their players. Don't be cheap and lose out on your team. Yep. You know, one thing I would like to get rid of is this. In it. Oh, there you go. NIL hypocrisy. You know, see, you, you knew my segue was coming somehow. You know, like we Always. just be linking like that. I don't even know how it works, <laughs> but you know, so, so like you got people like, you know, I, I'm going to turn it over to you, but just to set the mood or whatever, you know, you got your people out here like Dabo Sweeney over at Clemens who was talking about, you know, I don't even know if I want to coach if we go down the NIL road and like, you know, you want to cash that $10 million check or whatever it is that you're getting. You know, all these coaches try to make it sound so awful. But what makes me upset the most, and I don't know if you feel this way, but what upsets me the most is when I talk to fans and they say like, oh, this is ruining the sport. And it's like, no, the the, the sport was ruined once you had Florida schools in the same conference with a Syracuse or somebody like that. Yeah, so shout out to Chris Rock. I'm going to call it out. Selective outrage. Uh, I've been saying it for years in like different conversations. 
If you ask someone two to three follow-up questions on why they're mad about something, they won't be able to answer you because they don't know. They just know they're mad at the thumbnail. They don't even read the article. Like someone can see this and say the hypocrisy of it all. They might think that we're talking about is hypocritical to pay the players. And then they'll go out and say, oh, man, that's those dudes, 2-5 and Raphael. And they were talking about his hypocrisy to pay the players. Like, no, nah, man, you got to listen to the segment. It's not, it's not it at all. So I think people are out, outraged by something, and they don't know why. The NIL deal is, yes, it does benefit the player. It also benefits the school. Because now you're not going to get in trouble for getting that four-star recruit his pickup truck from the dealership. You can just have him stand out there and take a couple of pictures. And he got that truck of his name and likeness. Now you have that player. So the NIL and the transfer portal and the player empowerment aspect of modern sports, they are adults. If I'm a physics major and I go to, I'm at Boston University. And one of my professors says, hey, I think you should transfer to MIT because their physics program is better than one here at Boston University. I think you might have exceeded our program. You should transfer to MIT. They get their information together. They do whatever they got to do. Now they transfer across town to MIT. No one's the wiser. They live their life. So if I'm an Alabama running back, I get recruited out of Texas. I come to Alabama. They have two or three starters who are juniors and seniors, a couple of five-star kids that are red shirts, and I come in and I'm ninth on the depth chart. And I don't touch the field my whole first year. And now they bring in two or three more guys. I twist my ankle, and now I don't get to practice. It's like, so I've been here for two years. I'm supposed to just stay because I like competition? Like, no. I'm going to transfer out because I need, I, I still need an opportunity to play. Like, you don't get that many years to do what these guys are able to do. So they're going to take advantage of that because when coaches do it, and coaches do it in a little bit more of a nefarious way because it seems like these deals, because we see how long it takes a player to get a deal. We could talk about Lamar's deal. We could talk about Kirk Cousins' deal. We could talk about Derek Carr's deal. We could talk about... I mean, hell, Tyron lose deal to try to get the, the deal that the Lakers offered him. All of a sudden, it was like, who offers a coach a three-year deal? It seems like all these other moves are being made to make sure coaches get squared away. Lincoln Riley was on the private jet like the, the night of his last game coaching Oklahoma. The night that, they he, were going to a that he was going anywhere. <laughs> Got on the plane. Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame. Everybody wants to go to Notre Dame. 24 gold carrot flakes in the helmet. Rudy, all of the legacy. I'm going down to Louisiana. <clears throat> and then he gets a quarterback from Arizona State. His fellow players, we've I think the, it went viral. I don't know if people remember the clip, Jaden Daniels. His players, his former teammates, were recording him throwing his stuff in the trash. They trash his locker. And while he's packing his stuff up, they're literally, they're not even doing it subtly. They're literally trashing him in recording him when he packed up to go from Arizona state to LSU. So the coach can leave Notre Dame and go to LSU. The media didn't bash him, but yet you have players who are bashing the other guys for, for transferring out. 
like you said, the fans. It's just that that's the hypocrisy because we, we could talk about a tournament and Mike Mike broke this down in a little pre-meeting, like to the point I didn't even realize how fluid it was. So he's gonna break down these coaching moves and you tell me how in the hell did this happen? Write it down for me. Well, Mike. you know, so so before I even get to that, you know, real quick, so a few episodes ago, we were talking about the Big Ten, the new Big Ten media. But the main problem that I have with NIL is that the schools aren't even the ones playing the players. So they still get to keep all their money. You know what I'm saying? They got businesses coming in here to drop off bags while they still – there was one – I want to say it was somewhere around 2016. Alabama's football team made about $800 They didn't pay one damn player. You know what I mean? Like – just saying. Not above the but table anyway, anyway. Right, not above the table. Right, 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 right. So you, when when there's a world where coaches like Bobby Petrino, you'll love that one, where Bobby Petrino are allowed to operate in, that's a sport that's ruined. The dude literally left his team in the middle of Monday Night Football and was <laughs> basically taking phone calls in the locker room at halftime trying to get up out of Atlanta. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, he called the meeting. They said he walked in the meeting and said, I'm going to Louisville and bounced. And you know why he got in trouble? He got in trouble because he got in a motorcycle crash with a chick that wasn't his wife. That's what he got in trouble for. They sent him down to FCS, you know, to coach Missouri State. But then what happened? He's a great coach. So he almost be up in Fayetteville this year against Arkansas. And now he's Jimbo Fisher's offensive coordinator. So what? Turn around Texas A&M's offense, and he's an ACC coach next year. You know, like I look at, I look at, you know, like you mentioned, Lincoln Riley. He literally got his back blown by his rival, Oklahoma State Cowboys. Went to the press conference and said, "I'm not going anywhere." And not even two days later, introducing USC new head coach Lincoln Riley. And yeah, Oklahoma fans fans were upset and rightfully so. But everybody else was like, it's USC, it's LA, it's beaches. Yeah, that's what the players are thinking too. Yeah, USC is back. And guess what? They got their backs blown out by the Utes and then went on and lost to Tulane. You know what I mean? So I don't want to hear it. Then, you know, we were talking about primetime earlier, right? Now, granted. There's a little more nuance in his situation. But the one thing that I know about Dion, and I respect the hell out of Dion because he's one of the few older generation that's still relevant today because he knew how to market and he knew how to brand. But one thing that I know about Dion is Dion is about D. So how many kids went to Jackson State just to play for Coach Prime? Just for him to leave and go to Colorado, he was like, hey, yo, I'm going to stay and coach the championship game, but I'm going to bounce. And then he went to Colorado and was like, I'm bringing my uh, Louie with me. Now, if Colorado goes 8-4 and four this season, and then Mike Norvell down at FSU, you know, goes 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five when they got top 10 aspirations and hype going into this season, and FSU calls, you know, Dion up, people going to say, what? That's his alma mater. He went home. But then they're going to bash all the kids that left Colorado to go to Tallahassee with him. 
You know, like, this is what I don't understand. Like, I got some co-workers, right? And they're Oregon fans. So, you know, like, uh, they, they got their new coach, Dan Lenning, came from Georgia as the defensive coordinator. And, you know, one of them really, really hates Dan Lanning for some reason that I can't explain. <laughs> you know, he won 10 games this year, but he, but he hates them. And, you know, but Ken Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, left and went to Arizona State. But I'm turning around and I'm like, look, how hard is it to coach Nike University? You know what I mean? <laughs> the moment things start to sour, you know, and last one I'll bring up real quick. Dana Holgerson. You know, he's the head coach at Houston. So this is wild to me because he was the head coach at West Virginia. And he sensed, and it was a thing, you know, he was going to lose his job probably. He sensed it. Possibly. So he left He left the Big 12 to go to a G5 school. And then you come full circle five years later, and now Houston's in the Big Twelve. So he made it Big back 12. up without even having to leave Houston. So you know what I mean. But but if he but if he leaves Houston, people are going to say, "Well, they're a team that's new to the Big Twelve. It's going to take a few years." Like he had a ready-made job down at wherever you know, and then the players follow him. Why are you playing for the name on the back of the jersey instead of the front of the jersey? It's ignorant. Every single time. Every time. Like. And the thing that that sparked this conversation for for me and him was that Fairleigh Dickinson uh, here in Teaneck, New Jersey, their coach left after making history with the school. He goes to Iona. Rick Pitino had left Iona, go to St. John's. So then you had the Providence coach. He left and went to Georgetown. And then I saw another article here san francisco they were number 10 seed first tournament trip in 24 years their coach left to go coach florida so the school of bill russell by the way shout out to bill russell number six so if a player was on that team and is like yo i was one of our key players that led us to this tournament i'm going to the nba They'd be like, oh, how you leave your team? How come you, how come you wouldn't come back? But yet coaches just pack up and leave every time. And no one's outraged by it. And the player, the coaches do more to get the player to the school than the coach does. So the coach sits there in your living room, come to your games, send you videos, whatever legal FaceTime calls and conferences, Zoom calls with your parents, your aunts, your grandparents, your siblings, telling them you should come play at my school. We're going to give you this education. It's a great surrounding. They do all of this stuff to bring you into the school and then just leave. And a lot of people don't know this. I watched a documentary on Kentucky. When they hired Kalapari, he was allowed to basically wipe the whole team. So he went to all the players that he knew he wasn't going to keep and said, hey, I respect your game, but I got a group of guys I'm going to be bringing. So you can, that's when they were doing like waivers for the transfer portal because it wasn't, you had to sit out a year in most, in most cases, but when you got a new coach, it was a, a waiverable situation, unlike when it was Prior to, because prior to, real quick side note, 
if you wanted to transfer from Alabama to Georgia, Nick Saban could block it and not even let you transfer. So he wouldn't even let you. He would block wherever you wanted to go. And then wherever you did end up, you still had to sit out a year. Everyone was all good with that. Now it was like, oh, it's too many players jumping in the portal. Well, hell, they couldn't get out of their schools at first. Imagine being talented enough to play college football, but because you went to a team that had five other people who were just as talented as you, and it's like, well, this guy's older and he's going to play more. So, like, that's that's the part that, that bothers me the most is the fact that people are trying to, like, if you went to a job and, like, yo, you have enough education to be the director of this department you're in, but yet you're the assistant director because somebody else is there and another company calls say, hey, we got a director spot for you, and we're going to pay you just as much or more than what this current person is. And you go to your boss, like, hey, I'm leaving. I'm picking up a new job. And they bash you in meetings. Like, oh, this person's leaving. I'm like, yo, well, you're not paying me what this other other company can pay me. You're not playing me as much as this other team can play me. So, hey, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Well, you know, nobody bats an eye every single year. This happens like clerk every single year. Jim Harbaugh is always the talk of NFL jobs. You know, and everybody every wants year. him to leave. Every year somebody wants team. him to leave. With a playoff team, with a freshman quarterback this season that probably came to Michigan because he's the quarterback whisperer like Sean Payton, you know, you know, but more, but like, well, he didn't win a Super Bowl, but you know, but anyway, so, so every year, this is a thing. Where's Harbaugh going to end up? Now, granted, he comes back to Michigan, but this is what I don't understand because America is supposed to be the land of the rebellious. The people. But a lot of these nine to five asses are out here supporting the powers that be. And they want to keep the power structure in place that's designed to hold these kids down. And these and these things only happen in these two sports, you know, in the basketball and in the football. You know, like I remember, I think it was uh Jeremy Bloom from Colorado, you know world-class skier you know he was in the olympics and still going to colorado you know what i mean whereas like yeah and there was a guy um i want to say it was bomar not 100 sure but i think it was rhett bomar quarterback from oklahoma somebody took him out to dinner and bought him lasagna it was like a seven eight dollar meal probably took him to olive garden and got him the platter you know what i mean and like it was like yo oklahoma's going to be facing probation over some damn oh, lasagna. Oh. No, he was also he also had a truck. Well, he had, <laughs> he had a too. job yeah, at the yeah, dealership. Yeah, yeah, he had, he had a job, job at, the at the dealership, dealership. Which, which would be legal today. You know, which is crazy to me because you know I look back. You know, um, college basketball. You know, Will Wade at LSU, Bill Self at Kansas. You know, Oklahoma State had a coach involved. Um, Chuck Person, the rifleman down at Auburn. You know, these dudes, Rick Pitino. These dudes were getting in trouble. Because Adidas or whoever, you know, was reaching out to these kids and like pushing these kids to their universities or what that's legal today. You know what yeah, I mean? Like Will Wade Will Wade lost his job at LSU. Will Wade lost his job at LSU and people were like, I don't even think he should coach anymore. You know what I mean? Sean Miller at, at Arizona, now he's back at Xavier. Same thing. Like, you know, so 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 like from that standpoint, it's like I don't understand what we want. 
you know, like I want the players to have the same ability as the coaches. I'm not saying that I'm a fan of players going from university to university. Like JT Daniels is on his third school now. You know, he started at USC, it might be more, went to West Virginia. Might okay. be. It, I, from, from what I know, he, he went to USC. He ended, Oh, yeah. He went to Georgia. And then because uh, yeah. he was supposed to be the starter before Stetson Bennett took over. He went to yeah. West Virginia and now he's at Rice. Like, look, I'm sorry, JT Daniels, but if you got to go to Rice, you scrape in the bottom of the barrel. But but the point being is that I'm not necessarily a fan of that, but I support the right to be able to do that because theoretically speaking, a coach could get a job at West Virginia today, get hired by look at Lane Kiffin. He went to he went to Tennessee. And then before you could blink, you know, like he 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 played a game against Alabama where literally Alabama blocked three kicks in that game, three field goals. They lost that game. The team went six and seven. And then he went to USC. So this ain't even like great coaches always that benefit from this. On top of the fact that a player literally is only risking his own his own playing time when they body reputation like 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 That's is it. the draft holding it are the, the are the coach, draft people holding this against players the coach if i'm the head coach that means i hired a certain percentage of the staff maybe the college hired the strength and conditioning coach whatever the case may be but i brought in some people so I got people who moved from wherever they lived up here to Jersey to be on my staff at Rutgers. And then Rutgers has a 11 and two year. And it's like, Hey, Auburn call. They want you to come down there. I'm like, all right, man, I'm out. And now <laughs> I just leave these people and they, they, their families that they, like, I'm pretty sure. Cause like the reason yeah. I, I'm staying in Jersey is because great education. My kids are going to school. I had an opportunity. I retired. I could have moved. I'm like, I'm not going to move because I want to uproot my whole family. Meanwhile, these coaches are like, yo, I'm out. Lincoln Riley, his whole family was on stage wearing, you know, maroon and gold for USC the day after he left Oklahoma. So it was like that coaching staff. I don't think everybody gets to come along. No, so not everybody. The, the coach leaving has such a greater impact because when I bring my new coach in, if I'm a quality school, if I'm an Oklahoma, if I'm a West Virginia, if I'm one of these top schools that, you know, they, they tend to have top talent, Penn State. You know, I can hire schools, the coach I want instead of the coach I want. I can got. hire a coach I want, <laughs> yeah. And then he can bring in the staff he wants. So now, so you got a coach that leaves and you're the, let's say, the defensive coordinator probably would go with them. Let's say you're like a like a special teams coach or you're like a DB coach. He's not, he can't take everybody with Lincoln Riley to USC. So now you're the DB coach and you're sitting around just waiting for the athletic department who didn't hire you. They have no allegiance to you. Their whole thing now is who who do we bring in that can get us over the top? And now you're just waiting to get fired. Meanwhile, I'm a player. I know there's six running backs ahead of me. I'm going to go to this other school and play running back. I came to college to play football. So <laughs> keep that LinkedIn up. You know, but you you know what's funny to me? You know, you know what this reminds me of now that we're talking about it out loud? It reminds me of everybody talking about, you know, especially politicians talking about support the troops. 
you know, wow, I get a notice every couple of months that they're coming for one of my disabilities, you know. <laughs> every chance they get. Every chance they get, they got the, get your hand out my pocket. They were like, oh yeah, everything on this, everything on here says that you should get a higher percentage, but uh, they don't see why they don't give it to you. But like I say, yeah. people, it's, it's, it's just, and I understand that you know, everything can be viewed from each side. And you have to, I, I, I want to hear both sides. I want to know why fans are upset with the players more than they are with the institutions that get the money. Because I was telling people, like I said, I have my nonprofit, Broken Windows Initiative. I talked to people about it. I'm like, you know, the NCAA is a nonprofit organization. And people kind of look, I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't have shareholders. They're not, they're not for profit organization. So, they get all this money, tax exemptions. Like even my my little, you know, nonprofit I started here, tax exempt. So any money I get in, I'm not paying tax on it. So imagine people are getting millions and billions of dollars, not paying taxes on it. But yet you're mad at the kid who moved from home to come to school, and all he does is work out, work out. Well, what like about this dude? Well, I got I got two more quick things and then we can move on because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm looking at the clean and everything. But, uh, you know, but like this, this Jaden Rashada kid, you know, you know, four star recruit, you know, tried to hold the Gators hostage for like 13 million, <laughs> ended up going to Arizona State. And I'm like, hey, if somebody's willing to pay it, I can't knock the dude. But can you at least be a five star? But um, but second to that. Um, I wanted to bring up real quick. I was reading the other day, Jack Swarbrick, the uh, athletic director at Notre Dame, does a great job. He was talking about how there needs to be a semi-pro league to funnel talent to the NFL. Jack, that's what you are. Yeah, you have the NFL don't are the minor league. Yeah, and the NFL don't gotta pay for it. You know what I'm like? You ask the NFL to spend money. Through the media behind their back. That's your job. Because you know what? The moment that y'all introduced all this, the, the like so the moment that y'all paid in the first place, you remember there was it was just not that long ago that I think it was Northwestern, their players were trying to unionize. Yes. You know, so so all of this was coming. Like we're just here. That's why we have a, a school faster. full of lawyers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have one of the best law here, schools in the country. We got here a lot quicker than I thought we would. And, you know, my whole thing is, you know, the very essence of college football was lost for the fact that USC can be in the same conference as Rutgers. The essence of college football was lost from that point because college college football was about regional rivalry building up. And now that we have a playoff, now you can get your regions together. Like, you know, in the, in the, I mean, the NBA, you know, East versus West. And then you meet up in the finals after everybody, you know, goes through their business, you know. But like, yeah. you know, like, 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 you know, Florida State's talking about and Clemson, you know, want to leave the ACC. Like, where are they going to go to the Big 12 so they can play Oklahoma every? I mean, well, Oklahoma's leaving now, you know, what I'm like, so Oklahoma's going to be in the same conference as Tennessee. Like Listen, just I don't know. North, East, Southwest. We already got our four directions, just making four conferences. And like I said, I'm glad the NIL deal worked. Like I said, I have a like my son is 14, and I'm pretty sure at some point he's gonna, you know, he's still playing sports. And I know when 2026 
his senior year begins, he's going to want to go to a division one school, a division two school or whatever school you can, you know, that recruits you. And if he can go to that school and go take pictures at the local restaurant and get paid and not have college debt and be a good athlete and get opportunities. That's, I mean, that's what I want. And I think ultimately these players just want opportunities. It's tough being an athlete. It's tough. Like, I mean, like I said, if I just look at my, like the, I took my son, like, so we'll get to the next topic. It's 14. It's birthday month. Took him and his two friends to Vermont. Him and his two friends have been on sports teams together since 2016. Three sports per year, at least. And then one sport they play for multiple teams. So they have lacrosse for school. That has practice. They leave that. They go to re- the rec practice. Then on the weekends, they have their travel teams, those practices. Then they go straight from that to summer workouts for football. Then from football, they go from basketball or wrestling or uh, fall across. And these kids are 14 years old. And his schedule, five, six days out of the week. I think, yep, I think it's seven days a week because he has practice on Sunday sometimes. I think now they have Monday and Tuesday off because of weather or just for that. But five to six days out of the week, he's practicing. And then he was working out with his old football coach as personal trainers. All of them were going there three times a week. And these are 14-year-old kids. These are not like super crazy. I'm paying out a crazy amount of money. This is like just a normal schedule for 14-year-old athletes. Imagine if you're 18 and 19 years old and you go to Alabama, Illinois, Wisconsin, Oregon, Oregon State, one of these big schools, you're waking up four o'clock in the morning. You Maybe you get some breakfast. Maybe if you are on scholarship, you get free food. You have to pay for your food because you got to eat, working out, go to class, practice. And this is year round. And if he's like, listen, I'm doing all this just to put on the uniform and stand on the sideline when I know I can compete, I'm leaving. You know, you know why and NIL needed to it. exist? You know why NIL needed to exist? Willis McGahee. He still, luckily, just when they still value running backs, he went in the first round. But I think Jameis Winston put a $5 million insurance claim in when he went back mm-hmm. to school. Yeah. I think Trevor Lawrence did the same thing. But that's even with that. I mean, these guys are getting $200 million contracts. So what is $5 million? Because I got hurt playing an exhibition game, essentially, for, you know, my school. But like I said, I still love college football. I still love college basketball. We all going to watch it. We're going to tune in every single week. That's how they're able to get these deals. Are we but all one thing we don't do. People mad about this Final Four. <laughs> yeah, people going to watch it. But one thing we don't want to watch are these guys. Mike, what's going on with your refs, man? So we got some conflicting reports, right? So a little while ago, Fred Van Bleed, after a game against the Clippers, came out, went on a tirade, you know, wearing a Mr. Rogers sweater, and he was upset and, you know, called out Ben Taylor specifically and uh, because he, he thinks Ben Taylor has a personal vendetta against him because, because uh, Ben Taylor has refed six games as of that press conference that Fred Van Vliet played in and he's got four texts in those six games, including two in the game 
mentioned against the Clippers that, or, or I mean, in a different game that he got ejected from. And I, you know, I watched Fred Van Vliet, like who's ejecting Fred Van Vliet, first of all, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Dylan Steve Brooks Fred. ain't even getting the, 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 Dylan Brooks ain't even getting ejected like that out here in these streets. His you know what I mean? Like Fred, so, you know, but, but since then, since then, um, there was a story that came out from pod, fellow podcaster Tom Habistro of the Basketball Illuminati podcast. And he said in the last five games, Ben Taylor has only been the crew chief once. So that led to articles that Ben Taylor had been demoted. You know, so then he came back. Um, Tom came back and said he's been referee number two four times since that game, since Fred Van Beats, Fred Van Bleet's rant, which is a real abnormality with Ben Taylor. If you look at his previous 52 games this season, Ben Taylor was the crew chief in 41 of those games. So basically in four out of five games, he was the crew chief. But it has come out since then that Ben Taylor did not receive a demotion. But he probably should have. The the issue that I have with the refs is there is, we have a review. They have a review for fouls and you know, the coaches get one each and then like the last two minutes they put out the two-minute report. You shouldn't be able to give out a technical unless another ref simultaneously feels that technical is deserved. Like, not go over there and convince them. It's like the Olympic boxing score. Granted, Olympic boxing has its own issues, but they all they all look at it from different vantage points, and if they all agree that's a punch and it counts, they all have to hit that button within the same amount of time of each other to show that, hey, that counts. So if... I throw you a bounce pass and you don't like that it came in low. You can't give me a technical for that. If I slap my hands because I knocked the ball out of bounds and discuss a la Jason Tatum is having him a couple of times. You can't give me a technical for that. If I'm Draymond Green and I'm yelling at my own teammate to get back in transition defense, you can't give me a technical for that. And then after you give me the technical, you can't wait for the NBA to rescind it the next day. You are supposed to be an adult mm-hmm. managing a basketball game. You should be able to go to your other other rest or even that guy's head coach and say, hey, this was going on or this is what I thought. I was wrong. Hey, my bad. I'll take that tech off because it's costing guys money. Everybody doesn't have Kyrie Irving $90,000 a game money. Everybody doesn't get Dame Lillard's check. Some guys who are working the hardest, who are going to be the most mostly riled up, aren't getting that kind of money. Yes, I'm not saying these guys are poor, but these technicals, they add up. Because Rasheed Wallace, he was on the podcast with uh, all the Smoke podcasts, and he said back in the day, the, the fines were like 500 bucks for a technical. He was like, now with the Sheed rules, it's like an escalation. You know, one through five is this much, five through ten, so forth and so on. But like, there's some kind of escalation. That's not exact, but like, there's an escalation, and when you get to 16, you're suspended, and then each one after that costs you more money, so forth and so on. But if you get a bunch of BS ones for like, damn, tech, like what? I'm mad at myself. Or you know, like like J, uh, JJ Reddick got one because he threw like a bounce pass that like curved around, and he got a technical for it. It was like, so you giving these guys technical for a bounce pass? 
for cussing or whatever the case may be. It's like you need if you give too many, you only get 10 of those a year. Because if you keep giving out technical, somebody cuss at you, you're too sensitive and we need to reevaluate. Did you need to be on the basketball court? You got people out here playing for playing with that level of intensity and you want them just to shut it down because you called a bad call on them because people they act like refs don't make bad calls. They do a two minute report for every game. So you're out here acting as if you're not messing up and I get pissed off at you early in the game for missing a foul call. But then I get pissed off later. You want to give me a technical. And now you kicking me out of the game, changing the balance of the game. And we can talk about referees having that impact. What Fred was saying, like, listen, they didn't, people didn't come here to see the refs. You shouldn't, I shouldn't know your name, Joey Crawford. I shouldn't know your name, Scott Foster. I shouldn't know your name, Tim Donahue. Like, your names shouldn't be, you're not wearing on your jerseys. You wear striped shirts. You blow whistles. Like, I shouldn't know who you are. You know, and even Kawhi, you know, there was a couple of games ago where Kawhi got a tech. Terrence Mann followed up and said something, got ejected, you know, and then after the game, Kawhi, I guess, you know, said that the ref approached him at the start of the second half and was like, yo, my bad. Like, I shouldn't have gave you that tech or I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what Kawhi said. So, he gave you know, Terrence uh, Mann two for that. I saw that clip. Yeah. Yeah. It threw he him gave out. out you three know? technicals. He gave out three technical fouls on the one play in, in, on one play. Yeah. In about 10 seconds. You when the foul like, occurred, <laughs> like he that's missed Patrick the foul Mahomes, that's, that's Patrick Mahomes' level of completions right there. You yeah. know what I mean, and you, you missed you the know, foul and, and call, where, you got three techs. And, and that's where, like, so the NBA, you know me, we've had this conversation for years. You know, people only focus on these calls when it's a bad call, you know, all that stuff. You know, I focus on it just for the fact that. You can tell me that superstar calls exist. So you mean to tell me that I'm guarding this dude, LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or Giannis or Jokic, or maybe not Jokic, and then B, and they averaging yeah. 31 points a game or something like that. So it's already Too hard fast. to stop them. It's already hard to stop them. And then, you know, they smacking me, LeBron throwing his shoulder into my jaw, you know, saying like Embiid is slapping me up. You know what I mean? But if I get close to them, don't even like put my hands out. But if I just get close to them, I get a whistle and I'm supposed to be okay with that. Like it's already hard enough to stop this dude and you just gave him 12 free throws. So, and so you hard, know, so I'm that's edge emotionally because this dude is beating me, literally physically hitting me with his body. You call a foul on me and expect me to be like, no, you're right. No, I'm like what the yeah, fuck? And, and that's what bothers me because we had this conversation about we had we had this conversation about the Cavs and Warriors where you know the comeback happened, the three one comeback, where you know what I mean. I'm not saying I'm not saying that the refs stole the series or anything like that because Golden State had their opportunities to win that series, but there were just times that I just felt momentum shifts were stopped. You know, like for example. Um, the game, I think it was game six, where Steph threw the mouthpiece. You know, Cleveland came out and shot like 21 free throws in the first quarter. And then as the game went on, Golden State, because they're Golden State, they would make these runs. 
and cut down a 19-point lead down to like eight. And then all of a sudden, the fouls would start all over again. And that's what made Steph throw the mouthpiece. You know what I'm saying? To whereas I felt like game seven was the true game where they said, made the best team win. And Cleveland was just better. You know, so, you know, I think that we see this throughout playoff series. Like I tell people all the time, like when uh, LeBron was in Cleveland, for example, his teams just weren't good enough to win the championship. But I always told like my buddies, because they would always tell me every year the Cavs were going to win the title. You know, and I told them, I said, hey, if Cleveland is playing against Milwaukee, might not matter if they're playing against Derrick Rose. This might not matter if they're playing against Dwayne Wade or another superstar. But if they're playing against like Milwaukee, Milwaukee's got to be eight to 10 points better because if that game is anywhere within, you know, reach, there's going to be a call or two that we can look back at and say why they call that. Duke Blue Devils, same thing, like NCAA tournament. I've seen it. You know, teams go on these runs. Cut Duke's lead down to four, and then all of a sudden you get back-to-back offensive fouls. So I'm not saying that the refs straight up go into the game with an agenda that says this team is going to win tonight, you know. But I do think, and we and we hear it right now, you know. Nobody wants to watch Florida Atlantic. Nobody wants to watch Miami or whatever. Like, you know, if the refs had a chance to make some calls, they may have because it is a business at the end of the day. So the problem yeah. is, is that the NBA and Adam Silver, they act oblivious. They try to, you know, little boy us and say, well, hey, the refs are human and they make mistakes. That's fine. We understand that. Nobody's saying that this ref made a bad call, so he should lose his yeah. job. But nobody said 8K cameras. It's yeah. 18 nobody cameras said, around the basketball, around the hoop. Just a hoop. Nobody, nobody said. Nobody said that for the fact that this one referee only called one out of the 16 times that John Murray that he shouldn't be in the playoffs, that he shouldn't get to ref the playoffs. We're just saying hold them accountable. If we're going to hold these players accountable by attacking their wallets, I'm not even saying that you got to find the refs and make it public. But there should be something in place to where we can get a better feeling as the consumer that these it should refs be an emotional tax on the referees. Like, listen, yeah, I mean, you can't just be giving out these technical files because you get upset with a player. They're out there running hard, fighting against each other, battling, hitting each other. Bro. And it's like you miss a call and they say it to you. You can't be like, I'm sick of this. You missed the call because I have an 8K camera. Dude sitting right there on the floor. We got yeah, Beverly got a camcorder. We got, <laughs> we got yeah, we got fans. We got Instagram. We got everybody out here recording this game, and you can clearly see a player get fouled. And if Bro, you react to the, the game, referee, it's like, yo, what do you expect? In Donovan you Mitchell seventy-one you? point game. And Donovan Mitchell seventy-one point game. They came out and said that he committed a lane violation. You know, in the last two minutes of the game. There was a game last week that the last two-minute report came out and Donovan Mitchell had a lane violation. <laughs> now, I don't know if it was the same crew or anything like that. But, but you know, for the fact that the last two – so that's why, like, for me, I don't even want the last two-minute report anymore. You know, because all it does yeah. is piss me off. You, you ain't going to go replay it. You ain't going to, like, LeBron jumping on the ground and that, that, that thing's going to be, like, on highlight ever. Yeah, but you ain't going to give LeBron so possession and say – but 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 you ain't gonna but you ain't gonna say you know what Lakers 
we got that wrong. Like, let's yeah, just come go back shoot to a free throw real quick. Come back to Boston, shoot this free throw, and we'll see what the score is going to be. Like, no, you're not going to. Yeah, cheat like, it. like, yeah. It's like, and and it does, it does, it does impact referees because only certain one, certain graded ones get to make it to the finals. And I understand that piece to it. The problem is you're allowing a, a, a problem that you have all season long. Problem might be a stretch, an issue that you have that's ongoing all season long. And you only really address it in the playoffs by saying, okay, you 16 referees were the best, whatever the number, whatever the arbitrary number is that they have set. You 16 guys were the best, so you're going to ref the finals or whatever the case you may know be. You know what's Instead funny? of looking at the fact that, like, yo, hey, come down my off. When you bring these referees, any referee that's given out a technical because he got a bounce pass or a pass didn't go straight to his hand, I need you to come sit down in the meeting with me, Adam Silver, and explain to me why you felt like the, the enterprise that I'm running that requires that I put asses in seats and people pay this money for these courtside seats. They want to see Trey Young in the game. If he commits a foul, if he gets into your shit, if he if he's abrasive with you, okay, give him a technical. But if you piss him off and he throws you a bounce pass that you don't like, you don't get to ruin my product because you get emotional. The bounce pass didn't hurt you. You've seen it coming. There's... 15 ball boys around the arena that get you another one if you need another basketball, and it was going into a timeout. It's like, listen, you need to leave your emotion at the door. You need to be the managers of this this process. You can't be walking over to the bench, giving guys technicals and throwing them out of the game. You know he's going to say something to you. You gave him a technical. You cost him money. Whatever that number is, whether it's $5,000, $1,000, you literally cost this man money that he shouldn't have to spend because you gave him a technical and then you follow him to the bench and then you get a, then you get throw him and give him another one, throw him out the game. It's like somebody has to be held accountable for that part of the behavior, like the double technical that Terrence Mann got. You know he's pissed off. You just gave him a technical. You just missed a foul call on his best player, the leader of his team, in a March basketball game. He looked at him. You gave him a technical. He's like, yo, you missed the call. What the fuck? You give him two technicals and kick him out of the game. Like, what are you expecting in that moment? So that's something. Well, you know, so you, you have this problem that goes all year because I don't, I don't, I don't like the emotional reactions. Or like, I think, I think in a certain in certain environments, you need to be, you need to be, you need to act accordingly. Like, don't come in here. So, so you know what's funny is the people were going, people were getting mad. You know, I brought up the LeBron thing. You know, people were getting mad and saying like. The refs cost the Lakers three games. And, you know, I, and then, of course, my retort was like, well, the Bulls lost three games that are in the last two minute report, too. But nobody cares because it's the Bulls. But then, like, I was reading this week that the Lakers have, like, the biggest free throw disparity in the league as far as getting free throws. And they don't shoot the three ball, three ball well. So they yeah, got to go and, to the lane. And just. And what was it the other night? I think they outshot Phoenix forty six to twenty four or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Monty Williams. Well, Monty Williams is the most level headed yeah. dude ever. He he got pissed. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So like, thing, so yeah. like, so if Dylan if Dylan Brooks is getting texts, okay. If Draymond Green is getting texts, okay. If Luca is getting texts, okay. And it, you know he had sixteen, but they rescinded the last one. So you know, so like these are people that I expect to get. And it's not miles. even either the way Draymond. And Luca 
and even LeBron and Embiid, the way these guys berate these refs, they don't get texts at the same rate as a guy like Terrence Mann, Vucevic, stuff like that. Like some of these guys that get a lot of texts, they give them a longer leash. It's like somebody yeah, sent the message because Draymond should get one at the tip off. I you know, seen just, him literally the first foul call either against him or a missed foul call for Golden State with 11 minutes and 40 seconds in the game in the first quarter still left, and he's already on top of the rest. Anybody else would do that technical. Luca the same way. Luca, you're a he's star. He's a baseball version you of Manny being Manny. <laughs> and I think and that's so it's like that message came from somewhere not to give him an early tech. It had to be because you we could probably I could probably YouTube right now Draymond Green technical file compilation and it's probably somebody put together a 20 or 30 minute video. I don't even know if it's out there, but I, I'm betting that it is because he does it every single time. And I'm not saying he should get a tech every time, but he gets a very long leash for someone who gets a lot of technical. So it doesn't even make any sense the way they and, and Donna, he was one of the Donna, he was one of the pioneers of this because he gave Rashid the tech for staring at him and then said he was trying to intimidate me. You know what I'm saying? Because he was looking at him. And it's like, yo, I can't you out here cheating. Yeah, you I can't make cheating. eye contact with you. <laughs> I love how he out here giving technicals talking about he's trying to uphold the law. You out there cheating. Simultaneously, you're out there cheating, but yeah, you got the audacity to go to the portal so, and so, try to intimidate me. It's like, cat. So, for the record, so for the record, going back to what I said earlier, I do not believe that the M is rigged. You know, I'm just saying everything ain't on the up and up. You know what I mean? Like, you know, in these series, like, you know, sometimes there's a sweep in front of us that doesn't end up a sweep. You know, it just happens that way. I'm not saying that they, like I said, I'm not saying that game one, they sit down and say, hey, you know what? Golden State just going to have to beat Denver in five games. I'm not saying they do that. You know what I'm saying? I'm I, just would, saying I would believe it if, if, we, if we think back to the 2018 game one when they changed the Durant block charge call on Right, LeBron. right, right, right. So that's how I know it's not rigged. <laughs> right. Because right, right. you you like when I saw that, I was like, but yo, was like, yo he but was Giannis a whole beat- foot outside. He was a whole but foot yo. outside of restricted area. But that's the thing, is like you, getting all this stuff wrong is fine. But you're getting the stuff wrong that we have HD cameras slow, slow it down. You can see you can see people's you can see the ink underneath the ink of a tattoo when you zoom in enough for most of these cameras. And NCAA refs might be X-rays. even worse. College basketball refs might be even worse. I think most, not necessarily superstar calls, but just bad calls in general. They might need to go to, like I said, you have an issue that's long going. Give four refs. Give four refs have and have them positioned on each end of the floor. And all they you need to have do a referee is camp. <laughs> they no, just they need legit, to have a summer like, referee camp. You take four referees and you put them put them in each corner, and they work corner to have court. And the other ref, they run down and they wait, and then they pick the action up as it comes back across. 
Because when you have this third one trailing or the other one here, you have four refs. That way you have four sets of eyes. Yeah, so you have to pay a little bit more, but at least you'll avoid all of this other stuff that will happen because it's like that in football. The athletes are getting too far ahead, so you can't see that grab on the pass interference deep ball because you got guys like Herbert and Burrow and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. They're throwing this ball 65 yards down the field. So you got the umpire. He's 15 yards off the ball at the snap. He's got to get all the way back. Or you got the line judge. Like, who's going to see the deep post pass interference? Like, who's running that up? Like, you got to expect this referee to run as fast as wide receivers? No. So put him in position where, especially in basketball, is easy. Like, yo, you work half court in the baseline. Everything in between is all you. Because it's not like they're in the middle of the floor. They're always on the side anyway. So, boom, simple. But they don't want to come up with plans. Because, you know, if you have resolution, then what are you going to complain about? Yeah, we need to come up with a plan to get these running backs some money. It ain't going to happen. Like, I, was looking, I was looking at this, and so far, you know, obviously, like, you know, Zeke is out there, but he's probably going to get a one-year deal, you know, because that seems to be the new flavor of – Free agency is the one year deal, everybody but uh, um, getting the one year deal. Everybody, even the Ravens, they finally went and got Lamar some help. You know, you saw they went and Nelson Aguilar, you know, that one year stone goal. hands, but stone hands, yeah. But, but you know, but, but, I was, but, I, but I was looking at this, you know, so I was looking at the running backs that you know, the Giants, you know, franchise Saquon, you know, who I thought deserved to get paid. Um, because he finally stayed healthy. And when he did that, we saw what his worth is. You know, but then Yeah, his worth is forty million dollars to Daniel Jones. <laughs> yeah, and I saw, but I saw that out of the traditional contracts that didn't involve a franchise tag, Miles Sanders was the one who got a multi-year contract, and it was four years, 25 million. So just a hair over six million per year for a running back that just played in the Super Bowl is still young. So that led me to wonder where's Austin Eckler gonna end up and what kind of contract is he gonna get? He just signed four year twenty-four million. I think like thirteen point one's guaranteed. So he's yeah, I think like he's doing six extension. and a half. Think, yeah. yeah. He's doing like six and a half. But that's the thing. He has a couple of four, 500 yard seasons, and then back to back 900 yard seasons, not thousands. A lot of touchdowns, a lot of touches. Yeah. I think he's probably better off just re- trying to renegotiate his contract and maybe get it down to two years. 16 million guaranteed and take eight and just do these incremental deals because you're not going to get, unfortunately, because the NFLPA hasn't, it's basically ignored the running back, didn't let them, didn't put them as priority because the position is one of the toughest positions on the field. You get hit the most. You're, if you're not running the ball, you're, Pass blocking, you're chipping the defensive end, you're picking up a blitzing linebacker, you're picking up a blitzing safety. 
So even in between the times you're catching these screen passes or taking the handoffs, you're taking on somebody running at full speed as comparable in size, 230, 240 pounds. Mm-hmm. So you're out there just picking these hits up. And as soon as you get injured, they want to just cast you off. Their contracts need to be better protected. It is it needs to be like a bit like a, a floor for your like the contract you can get as a running back with X amount of years. Like you gotta pay Saquon at least 14 million because he's played this many years. Something something along those lines. Because other than that, Miles Sanders had to take the four years twenty five million. Cause it's not like someone's gonna come through like, listen, man, we'll give you we'll give you four years, thirty million, like because I don't need to give you thirty million per the 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 mental construct that people have put on running backs now. Like I don't I don't need to pay you. Meanwhile, having a run game was a difference in the Super Bowl because the Eagles ran the ball and held it for a long time because of the way they ran the ball. The MVP, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, only had like 180 yards passing because they were running the ball effectively. Philly's running the ball, keeping him off the field. So that's the impact of a running back and having a good running game. And then Kansas City's not panicking because they're giving the ball to Isaiah Pacheco. Shout out to Millville, New Jersey. They were giving him the ball and he was running like a madman. And the whole time I'm thinking like, yo, he's running, he's running his heart out. But when it comes time to pay him in two years, it's going to be like, ah, yeah, we know you scored that touchdown to get us that Super Bowl. But I mean, we got this other guy. He He's getting us 12 to 14 touches a game. We're only paying him 700,000. So we Where, can't where's the running back from years. the first Super Bowl? <laughs> he went to Atlanta. And I think he might be in Dallas. When the one they thought was supposed to be MVP, even though he had like sixty nine yards rushing before he ran that long runoff. So Yeah. That's but that's I'm just saying like, argument. But I'm you, just you saying just, that that's your running back. You off. Zeke yeah. and then and then people aren't doing you any favors because like I said, we talked about this before. Adrian Peterson's the last running back that we will see. Shout out Frank Gore. So we got Frank Gore, uh-huh. Adrian Peterson. I don't think there's, there's going to be another Hall of Fame running back. They won't have the they won't have the numbers. Like I don't who what are we looking at? Who's who's Derek rushing Henry? for over? Who's going to Derek you Henry? Give me fourteen thousand yards. Maybe Jonathan Taylor. You got to give me fourteen thousand yards. When is Indy got it? When what is Indy going to do when it comes time to pay Jonathan Taylor? They're not going to pay him. So then he's going to go to another team. They're going to possibly maybe pay him four years, another 26, 27 million, something like that. Three years, 18 million, something like that. Yeah. These guys aren't going to play that long. They don't get the ball that much. You got teams throwing the ball 50 times. Patrick Mahomes had a game last year. He threw the ball 60 times. And right. it was like, oh, we'll just throw these bubble screens, like the extension of the ring game to make it seem like it's a good strategy. Like, no, it's just another way to devalue running back. So Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore are your last two Hall of Fame running backs that like have played recently. Like no, like Zeke's not uh-huh. getting in, Christian McCaffrey's not getting in, Derek Henry's not getting in because they're, they're not going to get. They're not going to have the numbers that are going to match up with the wide receiver numbers from their same era. Well, I think I think I think Henry still has a shot. Well, it depends if he stays in Tennessee because I know he was on the trade block. 
You know, if he stays in Tennessee, I think they rely on him enough because he's had like a 2000 yard season and, you know, like didn't get a yards. I mean, he, I mean, he's, 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 he's as, you know, he got as much as what Terrell Davis or something. Right. You know, but you know, I know Zeke, funny, right? Zeke has more yards than Terrell Davis. <laughs> well, you know, it was funny. You right? know that. We always talk you about know that. <laughs> I knew that. I saw the meme, but yeah. you know, but we, but, but you know, um, it's funny because, you know, we talk about the evolution of sports. So, you know, growing up, a wide receiver getting a hundred receptions in a season was remarkable. You know, and you know, now, Steve you know, Larson. people like Antonio Brown was getting like 160 and all that kind of stuff. But you know, but Austin Eckler got 107 receptions this past season. You know, so not only did he get 204 rushes, which totaled 915 yards and 13 touchdowns, he had 107 receptions for 722 yards and five touchdowns. So he so he accounted for 18 touchdowns and over 1600 yards on over 300 touches. Yeah, you know, but look at, and, let's do the math real quick. So 107 catches got him 700 yards. 200 touches running the ball got him 900. So he is in the perfect scheme because I, I wrote that down. I'm like scheme versus fit. Right, you have right, to go right. somewhere else where they rely on one back to do both of those things. Most teams right. don't. Like Most even teams don't. like. Yeah, if we look at Kansas City, they'll bring in McKinnon, Pacheco, and Edwards Hilaire. And I think they brought in like another guy every once in a while, like another young, like bruiser running back. So they would run like four guys out there. So the defense, maybe they'll see McKinnon and think it's definitely going to be a pass. So they might mix it up there. But for the most part, McKinnon was your receiving back. Pacheco was, he was catching the screen, but he was more your power back. Edwards Hilaire was your, it was like a combo back. And then you had like this other, like I forgot what the guys, I think he might have won number 34. I don't want to be wrong. But so they use four guys. See, Eckler, yeah, they use him that way. But if you go to another team, do they have an offense for like that? Mm-hmm. And I don't, and so you know, I was, then, like I said, they, they throw the ball 55 times a game. You could do that when you throw it that much. So, you know, I was trying to look at this, you know, cause you know, I like to do the whole like, this is where he could end up, you know? So yeah. um, one of the teams that I looked at was New England, you know, just from the standpoint of playing that Kevin Falk type role, you know, that they haven't had in a while in that way. So, but they were like the team. That was it. Like, cause I looked at Denver, but they're not going to trade them within the division. You know, um, Detroit picked up a running back, so they don't need them now. And I looked at Houston, but they just recently picked up a running back. So literally for me, it's down to the Patriots. That's like the only spot that he could end up. But even with that, the Patriots aren't going to throw him the ball that much. Right. So and he, they also have either Stevenson. he's going to run it. Yeah. Either they're going to yeah. run it or they're going to throw it to you. But you're not going to be the you know. feature back for two different offensive. Actually, concepts. you know what? I did have one more team. I did have one more team because I was looking at Zeke and they were saying that Zeke is probably between the Jets, the Bengals, and the third team is escaping me right now. Uh, but, you know, but when I was looking at this, I said, well, maybe 
Austin Eckler can go to Cincinnati if Joe Mixon ends up being a casualty, but I don't see why Cincinnati would do that because they're getting rid of Mixon. If they were to get rid of Mixon, it would be because of cap reasons anyway. So you're not trying to bring in another dude that's going to take away from that. But I was thinking that if, you know, they could, uh, Chargers could possibly use Zeke because I was looking at their running back roster of Joshua Kelly and Isaiah Spiller. You know, like they probably need another running back if Eckler was to leave. So I could see Zeke fitting there because he's been catching a lot more lately. But then if Cincinnati nah, was mixing up. No. I had a bet. Nah, yeah, I had a um under Kelly Moore, and I think Kelly Moore went to the Chargers, right? Yes, he's the offensive coordinator, yep. Okay, so here we go. Austin Eckler's numbers will his catches will drop 50% next year. I had a bet. I'm not I'm not condoning gambling. Zeke over under eleven and a half receiving yards. He got nine. He had two catches for nine yards. And I think Cooper Rush might have been the quarterback. So I'm like, check it down. I'm like, just check it down. That's an easy, that's an easy play call for Kellen Moore. And I'm like, they didn't do it. So Eckler's yeah, probably looking do at easy. that. I think Pollard, I think Pollard might have had some catches, maybe not a hundred. Because Kellen Moore's well, offensive is, scheme is trash can. So well, I, think Samaj- they, I think you see that. Samaj P. Ryan is like, out there. Like there. Yeah, Samaj P. Yeah, he was the backup to Mixon, no, right? No, no, but I know, but but I'm thinking of backs that if Eckler were to go, you know, that's somebody they can bring in and keep their doing because I don't think this Isaiah Spiller and Joshua Kelly, I don't think that's the thing, you know. So like they're going to need to replace him, but you know, but you also got B. John Robinson in this draft, and people are like you don't draft a running back in the first round anymore. And I'm like, to hell with what you're saying. I'm taking B. John Robinson, and I'm taking Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. You know, like, you take the those talent. two. You take the talent I'm no matter what they two. do. You take the talent. Yeah, so, so Philly's at number when it comes 10. Down to it, like, so you don't need it. So Philly's at number 10. So I was thinking that maybe they trade down and grab B. John Robinson. Somebody has to take B. John Robinson because he's too damn good. For somebody not to take, and that's where it gets Baltimore. back to the value of a run. Well, that's where you get somebody, back to the value. Baltimore of the- take them, and then it'll be a team with a terrible offense that'll take a running back, and then wants to be like, "Yup, see, that's why you don't take a running back in the first round." Unless it, yeah, but that's slip the thing. Like these the guys, Chiefs, these the guys Chiefs are going to be on the rookie crazy. scale. Yeah, and that's the thing. These guys are going to be on the rookie scale, so you know what I mean. You're going to grab them because they have the value now. And then discard them once you're done beating them up. I think first round, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think if we do a little rudimentary research, your first round picks seem to be outstanding athletes or quarterbacks that can help your passing game or edge rushers that can help your (coughs) edge rushers and corners. Even wide receivers aren't really going in the first round. Because I think they're looking at like, okay, well, I'm going to just get the best tackle available and I'm going to get my quarterback an extra second. Yeah, so, you know, like this draft, I think, has some good running backs that can (laughs) grab later. You know, there's uh, Chase Brown from Illinois. There's Tank Bigsby from Auburn. So, like, there's running backs (laughs) that can be had that 
can be grabbed in the third round or, you know, maybe a little bit later than that. But I'm just here to say somebody needs to draft B. John Robinson, you know, and especially like somebody like Minnesota, depending on what happens with Dalvin Cook, you know, because he's another one that is, you know, not going to want to take a pay cut, but may end up being a cap casualty as well down the road. So, you know, and it makes me sad because these guys are talented. It's not as if it's disrespect I'm up here. It is. It's not like I'm sitting up here. I brought up Samaj P. Ryan. And it's not like I'm sitting up here saying Samaj P. Ryan deserves $12 million a year or something like that. You know, but Dalvin Cook might deserve 11. You know, like, you know, like he makes a lot of what Kirk Cousins does. Like he has uh, Justin Jefferson. Daniel out. Jones got you know? $40 million because Saquon Barkley played. Hey, all that's your time, dude. Pretty much healthy. And he got his forty million because he was able to not the mess it up. Had, the defense had to wait a half second, a second to see if Saquon was getting the ball every time he was in there. They weren't just packing eight guys in a box, stuffing the run because he was performing. So it's disrespect. On top of the fact that there's, they're probably your best athletes on your team, the running back. They're they're probably just as strong as your linebackers, but they move like your safeties and corners do. That's like in a unique skill set, and it's like, uh, but can we just get another guy in that? And that's the problem. That's why I'm, I'm glad my son is transitioning to not want to play running back. You, you know, outside linebacker, tight end. You know who I blame for this? The Jerry one Jones. and only Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan. That's who I blame for this. Because, you know, he had Terrell Davis. All this happened. Then before you looked, it was uh, Orlandis Gary. And there was uh, Anderson, CJ Anderson, I believe it was. He just started plugging and playing. Yeah, he just started playing. So these teams said, well, hey, if I build the line, it doesn't matter who I put back there. Atlanta was one of the top Russian offenses in NFL last year. But show me a play where they ran a deep post route that was successful. Maybe one or two. With a wide receiver slash kick returner playing running back. Killing them. And a rookie out of BYU killing them. And I get it, but when it comes down to it, they went 7-10 because they are able to run the ball. And they were terrible. And passing the ball. Not terrible, just mediocre. Yeah, they like, like a game standard. out of the playoffs, basically. They could have won the division. Because they because how well they ran the ball. And it's because Cordell Patterson is an elite talent at running the ball. And yes, Tyler Algier came out of nowhere, but Cordell Patterson being the elite talent is what sets the table for you to have value on that side of the ball. Look at the Jets. Everyone was screaming at Zach Wilson for not being able to make throws. Well, they dared him to make throws because you had no one to run the ball after Brees Hall got hurt. Look at Dallas with Zeke and Pollard. Once these guys, once you pack the box, it's like, all right, let's how much you want to throw. Dak threw an interception every game because there weren't it weren't games and drives where they could just check it down because he Helen led the Moore's league in interceptions. He led the league in interceptions while missing five games. games. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just you know what I mean. 
I think people like, are like, obsessed with the big passes. I think they're obsessed with the big arm of these guys. And I get it, it's entertaining, but we watched Philly nearly win the Super Bowl. I think they would have won. If they if if Bradbury doesn't hold on that route, well, if he doesn't hold, Juju might have might have been able to bring, come out of that, and then Patrick Mahomes probably could have thrown a little shorter. But I think Philly runs the ball right back down the throats because and, and was that, running the ball. Juju's he's gone. He, he's he's <laughs> smart. He's getting out of bounds, you know. So I, I think I think the way that they were able to run the ball, the scrum play on third and fourth and one. All of that, and Juju's like, gone. Love how to come, talk about it. How come the Chiefs ain't? How come the Chiefs ain't being loyal? There's some hypocrisy for you. How come the Chiefs ain't <laughs> being loyal? Why Juju gone? Because you got the ring. You good? There <laughs> you got the ring. He has some catches. Sky Moore got a touchdown. Because there's Tony got a touchdown. I mean, it was it was a great game. But like I said, if we look at the numbers, one team ran the ball effectively. It's just that. The other team had two special plays that that were just big momentum. It's just the punt return was the longest punt return in history, and then the the early fumble recovery that just made the game different. But Philly, other than that, Philly's run game wins the Super Bowl. So yeah, the value of the run game and the running back, it's not just a matter of like, oh, well, we're just gonna put a good line out there. Jalen Hurts as a quarterback is a special running talent. He's built a lot like a running back, big, strong legs, you know, squat 600 pounds. Most of these guys also echoes pound for pound back going back to him, pound for pound, strongest guy on his team. And he has been for years. So unless Kellen Moore can come in there with the real plan and says, listen, I'm going to get you the ball at the same rate you were getting it in previous years. It's going to be a struggle. So like, like if you watch any of Dallas games and you saw how Kellen Moore was calling these games, and I'm gonna run it back, I'm like, nah, that's that's not the move so are we for go- me. Are we gonna are we gonna see a draft a draft day trade involving Derrick Henry? <sighs> I don't know because are they keeping Tannehill? Are they keeping Rabel? Are they running with if they oh, yeah, if they're, they're gonna run? Keeping, they're definitely keeping Vrabel. He would have been gone by now. Yeah, man, you never know. These these owners go to these meetings, and the meetings <laughs> over now. All of a sudden, they hear they hear somebody else is available through the grapevine, nepotism, or whatever the case may be. Uh, hey, Vrabel going to be I'm, at if Ohio I'm Tennessee State once Ryan Day get his pants pulled down again. I, if I if I'm Tennessee and if I'm Derek Henry, I'm like yo, treat me. Send me to, like Buffalo picked up someone, right? Yes, I remember that was. I'd I'd say. Uh, Let's see, keep talking. I got you. I say Derrick Henry, because I don't think Tennessee really makes moves. Like, I mean, they they did trade AJ Brown on draft night for a first round pick. Do you? Who's giving up a first round pick? Uh huh. For Derrick Henry. Yeah, Buffalo picked up <laughs> Damian Harris from the Patriots. Yeah, but see, they should have went after they should have went after Eckler. Well, they probably can get Damian Harris for what four and a half million, one year, four million, yeah. one year, three point five, something like that. Uh 
I mean, this is like fantasy football moves, but if I if I'm Kansas City, I take a flyer and give up maybe if because they have they have some extra picks from the Tyreek deal. Yeah, I say you throw throw a couple of seconds, a second and a third to Tennessee for Derrick Henry, and, and, and see what they say. You yeah, know, I maybe mean, you, do maybe you, you throw in Edwards Hilaire, you throw in Edwards Hilaire, replace their running back, give them a second and a third, get Derrick Henry. And then you can manage you can manage you you can really low manage with him because Yeah, and then nobody you have Kansas the quarterback the next two years. <laughs> you have the quarterback and you have you, don't, yeah. you have a smaller version of Derrick Henry there. So you, I mean you just bang bang. But I said that's fantasy. So, football. so what I don't, I don't so, think so, Tennessee makes that deal. So what happens next year, right? So Saquon is under the tag this year. They just let him walk next year? Yeah. I think so. Because mm-hmm. it's inevitable he's going to miss some time. He's hamstring. I'm not, I'm not wishing it ill on him. Same thing with Christian McCaffrey. You know, soft tissue injury. You, got, you have a guy that has injury history. You're going to give him like, you know what? We have 17 games. It's week six. We got the bye week coming up. Go ahead and take this game off, the bye week. And then if you're not feeling like 100% the week of the bye week, you take another one. So then maybe you win one or two of those games, you know, and, and that little window with your $40 million quarterback top 10. Uh, and I think every time something like that happens with any 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 running back that's in this predicament, I think Chris, Christian McCaffrey is probably locked in San Francisco because he looks like the type of back that makes Shanahan's system work. But they had, uh, what's the kid, Elijah? Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell. It's a lot of running backs Always that hurt. look like Christian McCaffrey. It's a lot of guys that can hit that hole. A lot of guys, that, granted, they're not all special like Christian McCaffrey, but there's only so much that your availability can do, but right, that doesn't right. mean you don't pay the next guy who's ready to go. Austin Eckler's ready to go. Plays every game, 300 plus touches old, magical number of 300. 300 means he was available for that many games to get 300 touches. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. Guys yeah, cause I was looking at up. Zeke. Yeah, because I was looking at Zeke, you know, because, you know, that's why I'm looking at my phone. So I was looking at Zeke. And between 2021 and last season, he had six more carries in 2021, but he had 126 less yards last season. So six less carries for 126 less yards. And he would just basically vulture all the touchdowns from Pollard. Yeah, he ended He'd up get with him down to five, get 12 touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, compared to uh, 10 I mean, like I said, yeah, I think the if your scheme, if your scheme, your coaches, your players, and your egos mesh, I think you can put anybody on the field and, and make it work. I, you know, like Kansas City, I think their their play callers, the head coach, the tight end, the scheme, it all worked. It was all complimentary. Everything about it was complimentary. 
Austin Eckler with the Chargers play calling last year because the injuries to wide receivers, but they still want to showcase Justin Herbert's arm and use a, the threat of the pass. So he was good out of the backfield catching passes. He has a nose for the end zone. I think that value works for him. Like I said, Kellen Moore's offense doesn't seem to operate that same way. And if he were to go to another team and he's not getting those same kind of touches, the question is going to be, do we keep him? Most of these guys are signing one or two year deals. It's a lot of guys that can get cut. You know, if, if I'm an owner and I'm paying a guy $3 million, I know it's a lot of money, but if my coach Belichick, McDaniels, Vrabel, you know, Shanahan, Tomlin, they come to me and say, Hey, I need an, I need another guard. Um, I don't need this $3 million running back. I need another guard or I need another defensive end. So oh, yeah, I just thought guy's, about it. That guy's cut. Yeah, as you were talking, I just thought about it. You know, what's up with Kareem Hunt? I don't know what Cleveland does. I don't I don't know why. I don't know why they I don't know why they make life difficult. They are the opposite of the Kansas City Chiefs. And they I think they have people who used to work for the Chiefs <laughs> in their front office. It's like everything they do is like a deliberate attempt. To not mesh, self-sabotage. It's, like it's, <laughs> it's like it's the meme where the dude's riding the bike, and then he sticks the the stick in the spoke, and then the next picture he's falling on the ground. That's the Cleveland Browns. You, they've done so <laughs> many things over the last like four or five years that have just blocked their blessings. That people would say via you just blocking your blessings. You had yeah. Baker Mayfield win you a bunch of games and a playoff game. Almost beat the Chiefs. Almost beat them. I mean, fourth and four, Chad Henney. But that's the difference. That's the belief and the mesh of a team that understands this is our mission statement. This is our purpose. This is our mission statement. This is how we're going to get it done. And Chad Henney knew. He was like, listen, I'm going to throw this pass. To Tyreek, he's going to run. And he laid down in bounds. Like everything about that play, the the ballsiness to call it, the conditions, what was on the line, the, the awareness of the the placement, everything about it went perfectly because when they called the play, no one looked around like, oh no, we should do this. They were like, all right, cool, Chad Henry, you got this. Shout out to Michigan. Make this play happen. So, but then Cleveland just they just butchered so many of their personal moves. And I get everyone's not happy. As soon as Kareem Hunt was like, hey, I want to get out of here, just go ahead and get whatever value you can. Rob Parker says this a lot, and you can't really hold it like this vehemently because you, you have to keep your players. But he's like, listen, I don't want anybody that doesn't want to be here. And if you don't want to be there and you make it public, you hurt my trade value. So it's like, you're not helping my team. You're not helping me. You're not helping yourself. Right. So like, right. I'll just take what I can get. And I'll do whatever I can get with that. He was like, you can, he's like, you can find value in whatever pick you get. So if you trade Kareem Hunt for two twos, okay, just make sure you evaluate the next player that you get with that second overall, with that, that second round pick. But having a guy on a team where the coach, the other running backs, the quarterback are answering questions about is your quarterback sexual assault cases gone away? Does your running back want to stay here? How come you got rid of Baker Mayfield? Why was he like, I mean, everything about them is just absolute chaos. Meanwhile, 
Pittsburgh had Antonio Brown for all those years. He left, and Pittsburgh, even while he was there, they still were able to manage and not have all these problems because it's it's a connection. They only had three head coaches, Mike Tomlin, leadership, Ben Roethlisberger. They all just know. They know what the mission statement is. Cleveland is one of those teams that just won't do it, and I think the Chargers are the same way. They're going to be one of those teams, like you said, you got people like the families beefing, thinking they should sell it, whatever the case may be. It's just, it's not a good look. And then you bring in someone think it's going to be a better idea and it doesn't work out. You know, somewhere down the road, you just set up a future, get it off my chest. (laughs) (laughs) The Browns are going to be the tale of a get it off my chest at some point. I can feel it. So now that we got that, Mike, gotta get off your chest. What you got? So I I went to sleep yesterday. You know, all happy. You know, somewhat sad because the road to the final four is here. We are at the final destination, Houston, Texas. So I was all excited. We got some new blood in the final four. You know, three teams that had never even made the final four before. And I couldn't even enjoy it because I woke up this morning and everybody's complaining that the Blue Bloods ain't there. They wanted Kansas that got blown out by 20 to Texas two weeks in a row before they started the tournament. They wanted North Carolina, who like started out preseason number one and didn't even make the tournament. They wanted Duke, you know, who out here like eight and four or something like that to start the season, but their name is Duke. So get them in there. They wanted Kentucky with coach Calipari, who I don't think has coached since like 2011 or something like that. Like it's literally a puppet that somebody's moving around. It ain't coach Cal no more, but I say all that to say when I was a little kid, there was Connecticut. There was no Yukon. It was just Connecticut. And, you know, we couldn't even say it. It was Connecticut. So then UConn won their first national title the same year graduated high school. You know, so that's some perspective for you, right? So FAU, who was here in the Final Four, they started their basketball program in 1988. And they didn't even come to D1 until 1993 when I was in the seventh grade. So I feel like we should be saluting that infant program. And I told you they are not Cinderella. And why are they in the raft? Because no matter what happens in the final four, even if they lose to San Diego State on Saturday, no team can pass them in wins this season. They have the most wins that any team will have in college basketball this year. You know, Speaking of FAU, Conference USA on their way to the American Athletic Conference next year. And like I told you on my tournament specials, there's two teams from their conference in the final four in the NIT, which is UAB and North Texas. But then if you go to the CBI, the champion is from their conference. (laughs) So obviously something's going on here. And oh, by the way, not only did FAU win their conference tournament, They won the regular season title, too. San Diego State, not only did they win the regular season title, they won the conference title, too. 
So these are not teams that just got hot that came into the tournament at like 18 and 14 and then just went on a run. These are teams that were down since day one, Uso style. Miami won the ACC regular season title and was the one seed in the ACC tournament. You know, UConn, on the other hand, this quasi-blue blood that y'all are happy that's in the Final Four, finished fourth in their conference. So if anything, I can make the argument that UConn's the one that hot during the tournament. Now, nobody's looked better than UConn in the tournament. I'll admit that. I mean, this year, we had a 16 beat a 1. We had a 15 beat a 2. Yeah, why are you not happy? This is madness. The madness is here. Kansas lost to Arkansas to get eliminated in its tournament. They didn't lose to Howard. You know, Duke lost to Tennessee. They didn't lose to Oral Roberts. So these teams had their chances to get to the Final Four, and they couldn't. My Kentucky Wildcats, they lost to Kansas State. So, I mean, it's not as if they were out here losing to Yale or Cornell or Princeton or somebody like that. So what do you want? Do you want college football where the same team and the same conferences dominated every single year? Is that what you want? So at least in college basketball, every team, number one (laughs) through 363, soon to be 361, can say we have a chance to win the title. And there's a tournament in place, one and done. So the best team doesn't always win, but that's the beauty of the sport. In baseball, the best team doesn't always win. Usually it's the team with the best pitching staff at the time. You know, this is a thing that happens throughout sports. Now, if this becomes a normal thing and we look up three years from now and the Final Four looks like this, then I can see you complaining. But what do you want? Do you want me to give Kansas a bite to the Sweet 16? They don't even have to play the first two rounds. Just put them in the Sweet 16. So they're already halfway to the final four. So last thing. I, so so <laughs> out of the four teams that are in the final four right now, UConn, formerly known as Connecticut, is the one that is the elder statesman. San Diego State is the only one that was ranked preseason. So they came into the preseason number 19. None of these other teams were ranked. So don't tell me San Diego State doesn't belong. That's number one. Number two, all four of these teams, including FAU, were ranked in the last twenty top 25 coming into the tournament. So this is not a flash in a pan. These teams belong here. And if you want your blue bloods to get to the final four, then you tell your blue bloods to act like they're blue bloods. (laughs) It is not not FAU's job to do Kansas's job for them. And FAU is a non-seed. You know, only three non-seeds are made the final four, and that includes FAU. More 11 seeds have made the final four than nine seeds. So what I get off my chest is that I need y'all to do the knowledge, know the ledge, and know what you're talking about before you come out here with these asinine takes. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
like that. Mike, Mike was a little riled up. That's why I let him let him have that conversation. We were gonna do a segment about it, but he was like, "Nah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fire this off." Uh, yeah, so, then they get mad at us because we ain't talking about a blue blood. Yeah, listen, get mad, click dislike, share it with people, tell them how bad you are. I don't mind at all. Uh, so my get off my chest is for lack of better words, a controversial topic. And so I'm going to read the definition of controversy. Controversial. Giving rise or likely to give rise to public disagreement. A Vermont high school was banned from tournaments after refusing to play a team with a transgender player. So Vermont high school, female, uh, all-girls team, refused to play another team that had a transgender player on there. And I understand that people, and I understand the, the, the rights and the equality and gender equality and diversity. I understand this is, is, is a huge topic, but it has to be allowed to have a conversation around it. By definition of controversial, is going to be a disagreement. So you can't just leverage a rule and be like, oh, everyone just has to abide by it because the rule is written out. So, Said with the feedback from membership at large, the diversity, equality, inclusion activities, committee, and standards. Today, March 13, 2023, discuss relevant forfeiture. Uh, so they had to forfeit their opportunity to play in this in this tournament. At, in following tournaments, after they uh, they refused to play as one of the transgender girls. So I understand that. I understand that, you know, they feel like this team has a competitive advantage because they have a biological male trans female on their team. It was the same. It was the same uh, issue with the swimmer Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas identifies as a woman, was a biological male swimmer, and was using the female locker room, and still had male genitalia. Made the women of the swim team at this competition uncomfortable. So I understand that transgender players and athletes they want to be able to participate in the sport by no means should they be banned from participating in the sport i don't really have that answer but in the same sense the the biological women who are participating in sports are allowed to say hey i don't like this aspect of it. i don't like being at a physical disadvantage the same way if a boxer was 20 pounds heavier than the weight if floyd mayweather went to fight pacquiao and pacquiao showed up 175 pounds and they're supposed to fight at 140 that's a reasonable complaint. Like, hey, we're supposed to have to be on the level playing field. And if I feel you have a competitive advantage because you're physical, because physically you are different than me, and you have a competitive advantage, I should be able to voice that opinion and the discussion from the disagreement from this controversial topic should be able to be discussed. It shouldn't be just banning you and banning people and trying to shun people. You're allowed to have this conversation. It is a difficult situation. It's difficult for the for people who are transitioning. From one sex to another is difficult for people who want to compete. It's difficult for people to understand it. It's not a lot of opportunity for crosstalk to get this information. So if I have a complaint and I have a viable one and I want to discuss that, someone has to be able to educate me and then conversely, I can educate them. But if you just say, oh, you can't say this or you can't feel this or you can't say what you feel out loud then it's only going to build up resentment for people who just simply want to play sports. And I'm not even sure in the transgender movement how high up sports are on their list. I think they're more concerned with, you know, being able to go to the hospital and get treatment. 
getting married, not being denied an apartment, not being denied, a, you know, employment. I think a lot of things matter to the transgender community, not just sports, but a conversation to these young girls who are playing basketball against this other team. I think they should be allowed to express that. So all I'm saying is open to the talk. Anybody has any inputs, hey, chime in. But you should be allowed to disagree. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing. Everything isn't going to be copacetic. Everything isn't going to go one way. So take the time, learn something, communicate, talk, get other people's feelings, get other people's inputs. You, you nev- you're never going to grow sitting there trying to water yourself. Somebody else to give you some water. So that's my get it off my chest. You know, it's wild, too. You know, I was thinking about this, like our society always tries to find ways to marginalize women and constantly they and they marginalize soccer. But I just want to take a second and salute the U.S. women's soccer team because they've been holding it down where the men for 30 years. They've been good for like 30 years. That's a hell of a run. They've been like number one and two. For 75% of our lives, we're over 40. I mean, just think about that. Yeah. And, and yeah. I understand, you know, women in sports, it's because it's it's not really the, that conversation and that crosswalk isn't really happening with uh, bi- women born by biological women transition to men, so trans men. You don't really hear about a lot of that in as far as the, the sport and competition, but it does happen with biological males transition to to women and they are still competing in sports. So it's happening more what? often. So like the conversation, the conversation is there. Like it's, it's there. You can see it. There has to be a real conversation. I don't have any answers, but you should be allowed to, to voice your opinion and have a conversation. Definitely 100%. Because I mean, a lot of this stuff is new to the public realm. Like it's things that were always happening behind the scenes, but now it's public. So there's an adjustment period that you have to go through. You know, like like I was telling somebody one time, um, I, I had I had somebody that came to me because not necessarily transgender, but they wanted to come out and they didn't know how to, but they trusted me enough to tell me that. And my whole thing was like. I appreciate you telling me because really Eminem style, you only get one shot. You know what I mean? If you react the wrong way, you alienate somebody. And it's like, yo, you're not thinking about the position that you're putting me in because I have my beliefs. I support you, you know, but there's beliefs that other people have that when you put this on them, they don't know how to react in that given moment. And that's what you got to learn. And it's unfair, you know, on both sides. It's unfair for you to expect them to just be so openly available with that information with what we've seen over the years. And it's wrong for them to just expect, for lack of better, you know, no pun, but expect rainbow and unicorns. You know, so like we got to meet somewhere in the middle so that we can get to that place. But we got to give each other that opportunity. Absolutely. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, finish another episode. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter, Fear My Wrath. On Instagram, Sports Reports is ordered. 
You can follow Mike Twitter, Two Bitch Reports, Instagram, MLW25. Uh, you can like and subscribe, YouTube, follow us anywhere you get it's your free. podcast. It's free. Uh, shout out the live stream. Once again, shout out to Supply Ninja. Shout out to my group chat. It's always supporting. You know, shout out to Real Sports 365. You know, so we, I mean, we just, we're, like I said, once again, I'm humble that, you know, people pay attention. I know this podcast runs long. We start breaking it down more and, and doing more things. Like I said, we go live. But as of right now, all the fans who keep chiming in, all the people who click on our YouTube page or download the podcast, we appreciate everything you guys do for us. What you got, Mike? Yo. Shout out to Low Country Youth Services. And what are you going to do about it? You know why you don't Respect the hell out of that guy. So, you know, you guys give check, especially those in South Carolina. Yo, I just want to thank everybody from the bottom of my heart, you know, because we get to do this a couple of times a week about our passion and you know we've been getting good feedback and all that kind of stuff so hopefully we can continue to get that hopefully we can get some bad feedback too it all counts you know and it's free we are not going to judge you we are not going to alienate you you know whatever you got only makes us better which in turn gives you a better product so on that note you know sports reports is ordered and don't forget the madness is here. Final four. <laughs> Love you, America. We out of here. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>